The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to a special patron-only episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. And joining me today are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Folks, the new season of short treks from Star Trek are has begun. They, they're dropping uh, a few at a time. Two at, so one this first week of October... Uh, another one later on this same week, and then about one a month, although we're getting two at once in December for some reason. Yeah, I think it's kind of two, one, two, one, something like that. It's yeah. a different combo, but so that's a rush album, album, isn't it? Two, two one, one, two, <laughs> 21, 12. Yeah. There's never, there's never really a rush fan, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do as a as a special bonus to you, our patrons, is we're going to be discussing discussing each of the short tracks as they come out, like I said, about one per month until January, and then uh, releasing those to you on Patreon in your special Patreon feed. If you don't know how to access that, uh, you know, in order to subscribe to it, as opposed to having to go to the Patreon page and listen every time, uh, we'll put some instructions uh, on Patreon for you. Uh, but what only once you've had a chance to listen to them all, uh, at the end of January, we're going to bundle them all together and release them to the general feed for everyone. But uh, we want to do this as us. You know, we want to find ways to thank you uh, for yep. supporting us in what we do. And this is just one of those ways. So I'm glad and we have this an opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. And it gives us the opportunity to talk about these short treks where they're not going to be long enough discussions for a full secrets of Star Trek episode. That's right. That's right. This is going to be a bit shorter than the normal thing. So speaking of shorter than normal, the, this for, first short trek called Q and a, uh, is 13 minutes and 42 seconds long, so about a quarter of a regular episode. Um, mm-hmm. And it features... About a third, actually, when you take out commercials. Although, yeah. do... The, the, how, well, well, I guess it varies these days, because the episodes are variable length since they're on all access. Right, right, that's what I was thinking. So, um, so it could, yeah, so it's, it's 13 minutes and 42. Uh, it features Spock's first day on the Enterprise. He's beaming aboard for the very first time, um, from somewhere, from somewhere in a very strange looking uh, transporter room. It was looked like a corridor. <laughs> it was very, it was a kind yeah. of an odd looking transporter room. Um, we so it features Ethan Peck playing start uh, Spock again, and uh, Rebecca Romaine uh, returning to the role as number one. Uh, this is mm-hmm. Captain Pike's Enterprise. This is predates um, pretty much everything we've seen so far. This takes place yeah. before yeah. the first things of Discovery and everything. So uh, her name is Lieutenant Commander Una. Uh, she's the first officer. Mm-hmm. Una, she is number one. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. they don't. They're still being coy about is that her real name? They had had Captain Pike refer to her as Una in uh, the season finale of season two of Discovery, but it didn't end up in the uh, closed captioning. 
And so uh, one of the producers actually later confirmed, yes, he did refer to her as Una, which is a name that she's been given in some of the spinoff literature, although mm-hmm. the spinoff literature is inconsistent about what number one's name is. And there's even a um, there's even a, a debate about is that her name or is it just another nickname? Is it based on the fact she's called number one? Right now, um, to, mm-hmm. to kind of put a spin on that, though, um, the, the next scene as he, you know, Spock steps on the transporter pad, the next scene, it shows her re- drafting a memo on this on this iPad. I mean, this this pad <laughs> yeah. and uh, it lists her name as Lieutenant Commander Una. Yeah. Oh, first officer helmsman. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and they actually show the the pad, show the the text she's reciting. So, so it, I mean, it, it sort of on the paperwork anyway. It seems to be that's her, that's her name. Uh, we don't know whether she's yep. human or not. I kind of get the sense that she's not like uh, from Earth. That there's mm-hmm. enough right. interesting about her that there's something else. Uh, and I, I wonder with the the rumored uh, and wanted, I. I I can definitely say wanted Pike Enterprise series. future series. Yeah. That might be something they'll explore. Yes. Yeah. So I, I I like when Spock beams in. It's he's like Ensign Spock reporting for duty, yes. and she's no need to shout, Mister Spock. It's, and well, that it, that calls back to Leonard Nimoy's right. early performances yep. as Spock. That was awesome. He got, he got the cadence down perfectly on that too. Just very much the Nimoy cadence. Yeah, I really I was really pleased that they did that, and it was a really good callback. I was like, no need to shout, Ensign Spock. Uh, she demands that he, as they're walking away from the transport room, she de- she notices he hasn't asked any questions yet, and she. Demands that he ask her and everyone else he meets as many questions as he can, which, you know, as the Spock- as, <laughs> yeah. as a science officer. Right. Yep. Uh, so they get on board the turbo lift. And uh, as it's I have to say, why is there so much empty space, interior space of the Enterprise? Uh, yeah, this is inconsistent with the plans that I ordered back in the 1970s. <laughs> There's no way the Enterprise has that much empty space inside the, of it. That's it, before the remodel. The Franz yeah, Joseph. The, uh, the, the minor refit. Yeah, technical manual that I had as a kid. Yeah. But it just doesn't make any but, sense. Like, why, it's not a it's it's not a blimp. It doesn't need all this empty space in it. Like, like it's just a waste. Yeah. Make the ship smaller then. Um, anyway. for, for whatever reason, they, they like this design of the turbo shafts basically being roller coasters within the ship. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know why they're they're so enamored by that design of the turbo shafts. Right, right. Uh, We could kind of excuse it on Discovery because we didn't have a frame of reference for what Discovery is supposed to be like on the inside, but it just doesn't seem to fit on the Enterprise. Right. This is giant open space. I I do like, I want to comment on uh, when number one tells Spock to ask questions to the point of becoming annoying. Um, she says, you know, we're going to reach the turbo lift in 30 seconds or whatever. Go. And his first question is a reasonable one. What is your name, sir? Right. <laughs> and she dodges it. Yeah. You can call me number one. Um, it, it, and on board, when the turbo lift stops, um, there's this awkward silence or you think it's it could be awkward or should be awkward. But they go. You know, People don't talk in elevators. <laughs> and of course, yeah, I have observed that. Yeah. Of course, the rest of the episode is constant talking. So it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. What is remarkable what? to me is how Spock is able to come up with good questions at the drop of a hat. And number one is able to come up with relevant answers at the same drop of a hat. So that's, mm-hmm. so that's a fun bit of this. One of the things they, they're doing in this episode is playing on the similarity of these two characters, Mm -hmm. because originally in the original pilot for Star Trek, number one was the 
intellectual, emotionalist character, and Spock was just an alien. Right. And eventually, when Majel Barrett's character didn't end up in the regular show, they transferred the intellectual aloofness to Spock. And so we ended up with a situation where number one and Spock are actually very similar characters. And they're playing on that in this short trek. There's one moment where both of them at the same moment say Spock's tagline, fascinating. <laughs> right. Mm. Right. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. And. Well, I mean, kind of move on to some of the to some of the questions. One of the things he asks are, is what are the three most salient facts about Captain Pike? Another excellent question, given that he's just newly he's an ensign fresh out of the academy, newly assigned to the ship. Knowing what's you know, and and a bridge officer, knowing the captain, you know, the important information with the captain would be helpful. Mm -hmm. So what does she say? One, his capacity for hearing out another point of view is only exceeded by his willingness to change his own. Two, even though he is the most heavily decorated fighting captain in Starfleet, he views resorting to force as an admission of failure. Three, he is utterly unsentimental except when it comes to horses. And which Spock says he's sentimental when it comes to large terrestrial herbivorous animals. <laughs> yeah, and that last one didn't. I mean, it it plays on the fact that he does have a soft spot for horses, as we saw in the original Star Trek pilot. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't find the claim that he's utterly unsentimental to be reflective of Captain Pike, especially mm. not as he's played by the current actor, right? Or even the original actor. I mean, in, in that. In that the cage, he was totally riven by his emotions about being broken up by the the, the losses they'd suffered in a in a recent mission. You know, I mean, he's yeah, he was ready to quit. Right. So I it, I, I found that strange too. But it does sound like, in some ways, she it sounds like she's describing Picard as well. That sort of seems is a lot like Picard. He's you know mm. he, hearing out other points <laughs> of view down to the horses. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Other points of view, heavily decorated, but doesn't really like to fight, that sort of thing. So I thought that was interesting. One thing they do to show how similar these characters are is they start finishing each other's sentences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's another question that he asks, which is like, does the ship use this type of glucose replicator or this type of glucose replicator operating system? And yeah. she says, actually, we use the Una operating system that combines the best elements of both. And he says, your name is Una. And she says, that yeah. is not a question. <laughs> well, she says she says it's the Una Matrix. Yes. And I wonder if that's both. It was both the Una Matrix. You know, reference to her name in Una Matrix Zero from the board. Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. waiting for an Una Paloma Blanca reference, but it never came. So I'm disappointed. <laughs> I, I, I also really like how Spock directly challenges the prime directive right and accuses yeah. it of being impractical and immoral <laughs> yes unethical <laughs> not ethical illogical and morally in indefensible <laughs> i love that <laughs> she goes for your sanity just stop that line of reasoning right now right. she says for his yeah. sanity because she, apparently she probably agrees to some degree to some point but uh but like just it's best not to deal to, to worry about that just don't go there. He also, yeah. he also asks if she thinks the universe is a giant simulation, which is uh, yeah. also another Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World <laughs> topic yeah. we brought up. And I like Spock has here. He's willing to entertain design arguments for the universe. Yep. Uh, and finally, Spock's questions get heavy even for her. Like the philosophy ones are just like, oh, like, oh, OK, that's enough of that. And uh, they, they contact the engineer up, John, who. So he backs off to do you like eggplant? Yes, that's that's the question. Do you like eggplant? <laughs> so uh, 
the engineer that that's trying to fix the 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 turbo lift, her name is Upjohn, and apparently she has a Scottish accent because all the best mm-hmm. Starfleet engineers are Scottish. That's just a fact. Apparently so. Um, number one asked Spock a question. She asked whether he was smiling when he beamed aboard. She thought he was smiling, and she advises him, which is interesting, that if he aspires to command, he needs to keep his freaky to himself. What does she mean by his freaky? Well, is she his her point is that most people are not used to Vulcans displaying emotions and it mm-hmm. will be disorienting to them if they see someone who is is a Vulcan display it appears to be Vulcan displaying right. emotions. And so if he wants to move up in the chain of command, he needs to keep that to himself. Uh so right. that he doesn't disturb people and get a rep for being the crazy Vulcan. Well, she doesn't she act even, normal. She even mentioned that she found it a little bit disturbing when she first saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And then and she, she, he, he says, as he as he claimed in the original series, I have no desire to command. And she calls him out on that using a word that begins with B. Um, <laughs> yes. And and, you know, I thought about that. It's actually kind of fair because he does end up as a captain. He's yeah. captain of the Enterprise after Kirk is. And first officer uh, is a training vessel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and she, the reason she cites for knowing that he actually wants command is he spent two years at the academy under a brutal professor taking quantum stochastic combat modeling, which she says nobody would do if they're not wanting to command. Right. And now quantum stochastic calculus is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but apparently by the 23rd century, they've, uh, They've incorporated it into combat modeling. Uh, quantum, yeah. you know, refers typically to a quantum is a discrete unit of something, and it's often applied in physics to the smallest mm-hmm. units of matter and energy. Uh, stochastic means random right. and things that are randomly selected. So this is apparently some kind of quantum random combat modeling well, for the type of combat they have in the 23rd century. It- it connects back to the memo that number one um, was writing as Spock beamed over. They actually showed it. So I it being, mm-hmm. you know, of course, Star Trek geek, I took a picture of it with my phone. Basic model, the effective use of the quant- of photon torpedoes is applied to the quantum stochastic ma- models of Solval analysts. Analysis, she obviously could say it better than I can, requires an in-depth analysis of the accuracy of Starfleet's most advanced torpedoes, tactical weapons. Gathering intelligence into the effectiveness of both offensive and defensive firepower is essential to Starfleet survival, highlighting the urgent need for the kind of quantum stochastic models of Salvel analysis. And then that's when he beams over. Oh, interesting. Okay. But in any event, she tells him, if you want to command, you're going to have to keep your freaky to yourself. And he says, in essence, I've been doing that all my, she says, even if it's hard. Yeah. And he and and he says, I've been doing that all my life. And yes, it is. And she says, I know. And indicates she's hiding her freaky, too. Right. Which leads to which he then says prompts a logical next question, which he doesn't voice. Right. Right. But the obvious question is, what is your freaky (laughs) that you've been hiding? And she shows him and she begins singing. 
I am the very model of a modern major general. I'm information, vegetable, <laughs> animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I am very well acquainted, too, with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem, I'm teeming with a lot of news, with many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. I'm very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the scientific names of beings and amalculus. In short, in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. And... <laughs> <laughs> to, to prove my Gilbert and Stul Sullivan street cred, I'll go farther than she did. I know our mythic history, King Arthur's answer, Caradox. I answer hard acrostics. I have a pretty taste for paradox. I quote in elegiacs all the crimes of Heliogabalus. In conics, I can floor peculiarities parabolus. I can tell undoubted Raphael's from Gerald Dowson's Ophanes. I know the croaking chorus from the frogs of Aristophanes. Then I can, then I can hum a fugue of which I've heard the music's denophore. And whistle all the ears from that infernal nonsense penophore. Then I can write a washing bill in Babylonic uniform and give you every detail of Caractacus's uniform. In short, in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. Very good. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. Folks, this is all the, the content that you can only get if you're a patron. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by, by, by the way, so, that, that particular choice from the Pyros of Penzance should sound familiar to Star Trek fans because... Uh, Picard. Uh, Dr. Crusher was trying to get LaForge to oh, sing right. it. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. Just LaForge. Before the disaster hit the Enterprise. <laughs> it was the episode Disaster, TNG episode yeah. Disaster. That's, right. that's In right. Incidentally, I had, back when um, Enterprise was on the air, Star Trek Enterprise, I always wanted them to begin, and after they established that the Enterprise crew was putting on dramatics and so forth, I wanted them to have an episode that began with T'Pol in <laughs> a major general's uniform doing that song. Um, and that actually would be like a fusion of Spock and number one. It would. That um, would. That's right. And uh, so I thought that was unusually suitable. And Spock and number one bond over this. Needless to say, as a Gilbert and Sullivan fan, I was delighted yes. by this. <laughs> and um, and they bond over it. Spock even joins in clumsily at first, yeah. but then with improving skill joins in and they both laugh yeah. at the end. And it's a great bonding moment well, for the two of them with their freakiness that they're well, hiding. Well, I love that, though, because there was about a 30 second pause and it was a lengthy pause. I mean, for television. Yeah. Where it got really awkward, you could see it in number one's face, like, "Oh, did I just overstep my bounds big time here?" <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he starts beats. smiling and singing along, and he's got this big old grin by the time they're done, and they're just laughing, right? Yeah. But then she gets uh, uncomfortable, right? What? what so something prompts well, her to so want to get out all of a sudden. Yeah. What happens is, so they've they've been trying to repair the sh the the thing. They've been on the intercom to engineering. And they've been poking around in the uh, controls and the equipment at the top of the capsule of the elevator. Yep. And it shorted out and there was a shower of really cool looking blue sparks that are blue for some reason. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and then engineering said they were sending down uh, an engineer down the shaft with repelling equipment. Right. Uh, someone who's an expert repeller. And she, and she ends up on the top of the capsule just as they're having their bonding moment. And number one, does not want anybody else to know what right. she's just shared with Spock. Right. Right. And so she she orders him to forget what just happened and says she wants a hole in her memory and mm -hmm. demands that he swear that he will never bring this up again, which he then does. Right. <laughs> right. Swear. He does swear. Yeah. 
So they uh, eventually make their way to the bridge where the where Pike asks Spock if Vulcans ever feel awe, uh, which he says they're looking at a cool nebula. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, he says they do, but they tend to keep it to themselves and then gives a knowing look to number one. Um, and then that's where the episode ends. Uh, although we do have a, a, a dedication at the end to uh, the memory of Dr. Robert Shaben. Um, the, this episode, like I said, was written by Michael Shaben, uh, who's running the new Picard series. Uh, and who also wrote the short trek Calypso, by the way. Um, hmm. And Robert, right. Dr. Robert Shaben is Michael's father who died last March. So hmm. nice dedication. Very good. So yeah. anything left to say about this uh, short trek? Um, father? One, just one small thing. When uh, Spock reported in, he gave his serial number as S179276SP. And that's right out of the original series episode, Court Martial. Very nice. Hmm. I liked the I I really enjoyed this episode because it showed us how these two very similar characters could relate mm-hmm. and the type of dynamic they could have together um, on a future Pike Enterprise show, mm-hmm. uh, because that would be a question given how Spock's character changed to become more number one like. How would this relationship work if we ever got a Pike series? And I think they established one very nicely. I think uh, Spock admires number one by the end of this episode. He admires her efficiency and intelligence and and the fact she's got a hidden side, too. I even think they created a situation where there could be some girlfriend boyfriend potential Hmm. between the two of them. Um, and, you know, with the the J.J. Abrams movies, we've seen Spock as someone who's capable of forming romantic relationships with humans. I think number one would be a good candidate for that. At a minimum, the two of them, we have here the basis of a unique and very strong friendship. Interesting. Yeah, I like the fact that it shows Spock normal. Like, throughout most of the second season of Discovery, Spock is uh, having personal mental health issues and other (laughs) problems. This is Spock at normal, just base level Spock. And I I do like seeing that. I you know one I just uh one thing I, I did forget to mention um kind of on more the whole level I like these ideas of the short treks I like these ideas of these short standalone episodes you know they're just short stories they're real simple and I want to say that of the five we've seen so far counting the the first set of four this is probably my favorite that we've this had is so far the sixth now uh, we had the Escape Artist which came out in January after the other four separately. That was the one with uh, Mud, Harry Mud. No, I thought there were four. That was the, that was the original four. That was, that was the last of the fourth of the okay. four. Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted your point. No, that, that's fine. That was So, yeah, there was, there was the four before uh, season two of Discovery, and then now this is the first of the set of six. Mm-hmm. And this is the one I, I like the best so far, although the Mud one was, was fantastic. And, of course, Calypso was great as well. But yeah. This is my favorite so far because we still have five more to see, so we don't know what's coming yet. Yeah, I think this one, the, the it's the it's the best interpersonal uh, dialogue, the best connection between two characters uh, here. Yeah. I really enjoyed this more than any of the others. This this repartee between these two is well written. I mean, obviously, Michael Shaben is a really great uh, writer, so uh, it, it really shows in this one. So I really do appreciate that. I, I I had basically the same three favorites as you guys. I liked uh, Calypso. I really liked the Harry Mud one. In terms of pure enjoyment, it would be a toss up for me between the Harry Mud one and this one. But I yeah. really like this one. I love getting to see Spock and Number One, uh, you know, interrelating. Yeah, I mean, it brings us one of the our most favorite characters of all of Star Trek. You know, Spock, and mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, what's not to like about that? 
and and it helps contextualize his character arc in the original series because in the pilot we see him being more emotional and then he becomes less emotional as we go along and we right. got to see him being more kind of in a midpoint in season two of discovery so his evolution from someone who's more emotional to less emotional to then finding a balance by the time of the movies is it this helps contextualize yeah. that as well yeah. Excellent. So uh, we should probably wrap it up there before this becomes a regular episode of <laughs> Star Trek. Uh, we want to take a moment to thank you, our patrons, who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. We could not do this without your continued financial support. So that's it from us. What did you think of this short Trek Q&A? Let us know by visiting this post on Patreon and leaving us some feedback there. Or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. You can always subscribe to The Secrets of Star Trek by visiting sqpn.com slash trek. And until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Oh, thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I like eggplant. <laughs> <laughs>